Hello and welcome to episode number six of Earth Repair Radio. Same way in your garden, you would go above and beyond to learn about different types of plants and, you know, different technologies. This is an opportunity to spread and learn about different people. This is, this is like the ecological application that helps us start to shift many social patterns. We can start to really understand the relationship between gender issues and race and class and education. You know, it's just for me, because permaculture is about relationships, I automatically apply those to social patterns. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Andrew Millison, and our guest today is Pandora Thomas. Pandora is a caregiver, a teacher, a writer, designer, and speaker whose work emphasizes the benefits of applying ecological principles to social design. She's done so many things. She's designed curriculum for and taught groups all over the world, as diverse as Iraqi and Indonesian youth. She co-founded the Black Permaculture Network. She's worked with inmates in San Quentin Prison, and she's worked with the Permaculture and Social Entrepreneur Training Program for men and women returning home after incarceration. And currently, she's co-founding the Women Designing Resilience, a re-entry program for women returning home from prison. So without further ado, here's Pandora Thomas. Hey, Pandora. How's it going? Hi. Hi. Andrew. Hey, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me here and uh, take time out of your life to uh, do this podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out. Well, I appreciate you for doing this podcast and for everyone that's listening and taking this moment um, to share, envision, and co-design our futures together (laughs) virtually. So it's an honor to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So you've been uh, teaching classes and talking a lot about social permaculture, right? And a lot of people are familiar with the word permaculture, but they think of it as, as more of a gardening or a land-based system. Would you give a little bit of a of a definition of what social permaculture is? Well, for me, social permaculture is applying permaculture principles to social design. Rather simple. I feel like We almost shouldn't have to say social permaculture because permaculture design as a lens in the ethics and in the principles embedded themselves is the idea that you can apply this to living for meeting human needs and part of human needs is living with each other. So even having to say social permaculture is like, oh, why do we have to point out the people care piece? Right. It's because it's been overlooked. So for me, uh, I noticed in Wikipedia, they, I think, I don't know if someone updated it, but the definition of permaculture also includes the social design applications. So I'm looking forward to the day where social permaculture is something that's taught with permaculture and it's kind of enhanced to really apply that. Yeah. But also... I like to think about three spheres of impact around applying this way of living. So in your own life, so the self is the first circle, and then the second circle 
or sphere is your community. So those people you interact with, you live with, you know, and then the third sphere being the larger world. So in thinking about living and designing and applying this to those three different areas, what does it look like? Yeah. So what, what does it look like in, you know, when you're, when you're teaching this stuff and seeing this really being embodied in, in projects, I mean, what are some examples of, of what you can see as, as really successful social permaculture design? Well, uh, I also would probably shy away from using the word successful because I also think the same way forests are around, and we don't necessarily say, that's a successful forest. Right. You say that's a forest. I also think social dynamics, patterns, systems are at play, and the same way as kind of informed follow function, the function of something comes out of the form of it, our social dynamics do too. And so, mm-hmm. you know... If you've taken a permaculture design course and you left really empowered and ready to go and connected and networked and informed, you know, you received everything you needed to support you in moving forward, right? And so I think there's a lot of people practicing permaculture who feel empowered and are on their right flow. You know, Starhawk's one of them. Mm-hmm. She has managed to bring her earth-based spirituality, specifically empowering people of European ancestry and understanding that Europeans have ancestral indigenous earth-based practices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's, she's doing that in a way that's raising up the people part and then at the same time, you can also learn the land-based design. Mm-hmm. You know, I get to co-teach with her earth activist training. So for me, that's a great example of applying the permaculture principles in a way that the people part is integrated. So you leave these courses, you know, understanding how to be an activist, how to shift energies and groups you're a part of, how to... Uh, Think about your relationship to the land, how to integrate ritual into your life, how to understand your ancestors, community organizing. So not just how to design a piece of land or understand um, the water cycle or the built environment, but this kind of whole system piece where a human isn't just a part of it, but we're actually it. <laughs> we're yeah. integrated into it. Yeah. So that's a, that's, a, that's a great example. Is it successful? I mean... People are leaving the course and seeing themselves as a, as as not just permaculture designers, but life designers, and that starting with their own lives and how they organizing to to make change in their own communities, and not just designing people's yards. So, I think that that from Starhawk Earth based spirituality work to her the Earth activist training courses are a great model hmm. um, that I've seen. Sure. Um, also, uh, movement generation, they're based out of Oakland. They're doing uh, courses where they're working with people who are already community organizers. They're working with the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center mm-hmm. based in Occidental and these P4P, Permaculture P, Permaculture for the People, <laughs> where mm-hmm. these leaders, again, they're already leaders in their community. They're already an asset, right, starting with what's there, yeah. mapping out and assessing 
and holding up what's there. And so how do you shift and, and, and raise up their ability to be socially engaged and design social transformation, so movement generation. And they also have an amazing economic um, lens that they bring where they really tease out and talk about transforming how permaculture has just been this idea of land ownership. You have to have a piece of land to apply permaculture. Right. They've really grown that. So I think that movement generation and oxygen arts and ecology, um, their work that they're doing is an amazing Another inspiring example. Um, do you want me to keep going? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I was, you know, I was looking around at, at your website, and you've just been involved in so many really interesting um, projects. You know, teaching youth, and um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Um, how, how do you approach people who are really coming it from the social, social activist end, and actually don't have the land based piece? I mean, do you, mm-hmm. do you encounter that? Well, yeah. well, for me, the constant in my work has been around this idea of relevance. You know, um, that's just always been, because when I was younger growing up, and I knew I was a tree hugger, tree sprite, land person, but when I would look at images of who were environmental scientists, um, I didn't know what permaculture was back then or who were the future scientists, or who were the future environmentalists. It was the people that looked like me. And so even though I was, like, you know, very aware of the injustices around incarceration in my hometown, Mm -hmm. jobs were leaving, the waters were getting polluted by the steel mill that my dad worked in, I don't know if I said it already, high incarceration rates, my family members, all these things seemed fragmented, but I was like, I think there's relationships. Yeah. between all of this. And I, it, it lives in me. So it was like, wow, how do I make whatever I do in my life relevant so that um, just connecting the dots, that was a kernel of awareness in my youth. And then when I, I became a school teacher and you know, first was a kindergarten teacher, talk about making something relevant. Wow. Uh-huh. You have to be very, you have to break it down. Three yeah. or four year olds. I mean, they're the most brilliant people in the world. And you can't be going on and on ranting some shenanigans. They need you to just tell it like it is. You got to do things. You can't just talk. You have to actually. So I really credit being an elementary school teacher. My kindergartners, I had kindergartners and first graders, same group for two years. Those 20 students taught me more about life and how to make things relevant. Um, they learned how to read. They also, we had our own environmental journey, um, mm-hmm. you know, seeing what they cared about. And so, I remember thinking, like, I think part of this work is, you know, I, I always had the question, how do I make something relevant to my mom or that cousin of mine or my father who's no longer living? There's all these people in my life that might not have been in the place I was or, you know, the kids I'm teaching or whatever person. So I think that question of relevance has always been there when I was an environmental educator, when I was a naturalist. And then fast forward to when I came into the world of permaculture because when it was when I was first exposed to permaculture and I learned that it was about relationships and observing patterns and designing um, in relationship with how natural cycles work, I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is like the ecological application that helped us start to shift many social patterns. 
We can right. start to really understand the relationship between gender issues and race and class and education. You know, it's just for me, because permaculture is about relationships, I automatically applied those to social patterns right. and relationships. Um, so when I started having an opportunity to teach, it was grounded in that um, and, for instance, one of the reentry programs, I had a chance to work with the curriculum. Um, it, I think just, I don't Just to clarify, because you're, you're talking about like the, a reentry program because you work with people that were incarcerated, so reentering back in society. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry, yes. So yeah. this was they were incarcerated and they were coming out. Um, I also worked with people inside San Quentin. San Quentin. Um, I never have an assumption people don't care about the environment or people don't care about the things they don't care about or people don't, you know, they don't use the word permaculture so they don't really get that we need to do something. Yeah. I always have the understanding everybody cares about something and how do we make it relevant and understand how to make connections, build relationships yeah. between yeah. these different pieces. That's what permaculture teaches us. Yeah. So yeah. starting with trying to, understand what is it that people care about, how do, you know, the folks I worked with who were coming out of prison, how do they understand what's happening with climate change? Do they even understand it? Hmm. Uh, what type of patterns did they experience in their lives? How do you start with pattern awareness in your life? Then you start to talk about what patterns you observe on the land around you. But really starting with where people are at instead of assuming that they're not anywhere and you got to bring them to you, and I love it again because in permaculture, you start with what's your on-site resources, what's already there. How do you capture what's already there and work with that? And it's that same principle with anyone I'm working with, whether it's seniors, kindergartners, men inside San Quentin, women coming home from prison. All of these people are people and have experiences in life that you yeah. start with. And then once you start with, and not an assumption that they don't care, they don't know. It's more like, what do you know? What is there? And then my responsibility as a facilitator of the permaculture design process is making a connection. So designing curriculum that makes it relevant, especially for communities of color, so that they can see this is our legacy. Many of these um, techniques come from regions we come from historically, have been adapted, that relevance piece. But I found, even in high schools, when I started with young people doing activities that were relevant to them, whether it was using hip-hop, if that's what they liked, or a game, or showing them what other young people were doing. Again, starting where people are at, yeah. showing them relevant reflections of who they are, and then moving from there. Yeah, you know, when you talk, it, it just seems so obvious. However, you know, it seems like there's there's some blinders up to um, in the modern permaculture movement to seeing beyond just like land-based teaching. And, and uh, I'm wondering where that blockage comes from. You know, why isn't the, the social piece that you're talking about so, uh, why isn't it more just intrinsic in the design process for more people? Well, that's a good question. I've thought a lot about this. You know, I think depending on who you talk to, it is. Because if you speak to a lot of women, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to jump on. But you know what I mean? If you speak to a lot of people of color, they're like, yeah, when I learned about permaculture, I integrated 
experiences I had and made it relevant. So again, I think it's taking a moment and really looking at how did permaculture move throughout the world, where did it have its roots, what was the communities and the skills of the people who kind of founded it, how did it travel, again, and you'll understand, oh, the path it took reflected the, the people who were taking it yeah, and their skills and techniques. You know, I'm not going to look to Bill Mollison to figure out how to deal with some of the social things we're dealing with in the United States. He didn't even live here. You know what I mean? And it's a place-based thing. Or, um, but these universal principles that he shed light on that existed forever, he just gave a modern context and a definition, him and Dave. Um, I just think, much like many other things, permaculture is a microcosm of the larger macrocosm. You know, you look in the engineering field. Why isn't engineering focusing more on the social impacts of engineering? Sure. Math. Why isn't, you know, technology, all these areas, STEM in general, is having all these same questions. What's wrong with diversity? How come there's not more women? Why aren't we focusing on the social piece as much than yeah. just the kind of technology, hard skill application of these fields? Yep. If you feel what I'm saying. Yep, yep, definitely, definitely. And, um, you know, I'd I'd really love to hear more about how you uh, your work with permaculture and and people that are incarcerated and the reentry community and and how you really um, use permaculture in that work because that's just a really just seems like such a, a potent place for um you know for for your that contribution yeah well you know and I feel like me and there's several others doing this work too um, but. Back to my own experiences, you know, I have a family that's impacted by high incarceration rates for whatever reason. And so I always, at my core, was like, someday I have to connect the dots. Like, I don't know if it's going to be in my hometown of Farrell, Pennsylvania, or in Pennsylvania, but Mm -hmm. I really want to be able to. And then a woman named Angela Seven, who has tirelessly gave her energy to working in San Quentin, invited me in to a program she was doing, and actually Van Jones was going in, too. <clears throat> and uh, Van had said, this was when he came back from the White House, actually, interestingly enough. Hmm. He went there the night before he left the Bay Area and went to the White House. I don't know if your listeners know who Van Jones is, but he used to be Obama's czar. He is now an amazing advocate for everything from technology to the environment. He kind of coined the term green jobs. Uh, and started Green for All. Anyway, he's a mentor and a friend, and so Angela Seven arranged for Van to go into San Quentin the night before he went to D.C. because he said he wanted to be grounded in some reality, hmm. <laughs> and these brothers and they kept him real, and then when he left and came back, it's one of the first, um, I think it's one of the first groups he visited. But anyway, I went in with him, and, you know, when he had went in before, he said to the men, you know, there is no waste in nature. There also is no waste. If we can't, are going to throw away a, a recyclable can, we're not going to throw away people either. Yeah. And those brothers inside were like, what? This is real. And they changed the program they had at the time and turned it into the green life. And so I went in, met them, fell in love with all of them, and decided, because I was doing curriculum development, just kind of started my permaculture teaching we wanted to, um, and doing a lot of higher education, they asked me to join and start to help them designing curriculum, becoming facilitators. And so Angela and I started going in. She had me 
kind of partner with her. She still goes in and runs the Green Life. Um, and then their message was, you know, this is important not just for the men we're teaching in here, but also the men on the outside. Like, what happens when people get out? Because we're going to get out. And so that brought me back to that story of my family. That's right. I always said I wanted to do something for folks, not just in prison, but what about when I think of my cousins and just what happened when folks come out of prison? So then Angela and I had a chance to apply for a grant with other partners that was around innovations and reentry because it turns out when people do get out, it's hard when they get out, patterns still exist, they go back in. So there's mm-hmm. high recidivism rates. And so the goal of the grant we applied for was innovation reentry, and they wanted people to propose things they'd never heard before. And I was like, and Angela, <laughs> permaculture. You're like, I got so one for proposed, you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, I know people are doing it, but I guarantee the sheriff's office has probably never heard. Right. <laughs> we thought about, you know. Yeah. So we proposed to do a program that was more of a whole system approach. So instead of just a 72-hour permaculture course, which I think is just an introductory course and doesn't right. really prepare anybody, yeah. <laughs> but at a basic level, which is fine. Yeah. We can talk about that later. Yeah. Why don't we really give these men and hopefully women what they would need? So like a whole system approach. And a lot of Angela's work was around these ideas of healing circles, so shifting trauma through peer support, and then I was really excited about the permaculture design. Um, my business partner, Zakia Harris, at the time, she did a lot around the social entrepreneur training. You know, folks get out of prison. People won't hire them. What does it look like when people start to design their own futures, take those skills to have their own entrepreneurial endeavors? Um, so we partnered with several groups locally uh, to put together this pathway to resilience. And this pathway included they had case management, got paid to do this course. And again, this was designed from feedback from what the men inside had said and also just what other people in our ecosystem said was needed. We also had a peer mentor position, which was very important for us, someone who had gone through this and could mentor the people in our program. So we got the grant, launched a pilot. That was the interesting thing. It was just an 18-month pilot. Mm-hmm. to run, excuse me, two cohorts. And what ended up happening was it was this beautiful design process where we had one cohort, we took a break to redesign, you know, created a feedback loop, look at what didn't work, so that then in the second cohort we could look at um, running a more impactful program. Uh, we had a staff of about six, had all these partners, had multiple things running simultaneously. It lasted for 18 months. And we had a lot of successes in linking, you know, one of the big problems, because there's this idea in permaculture too, the problem is a solution. Right. The problem of reentry, the problem of recidivism, and the problem with the impacts of climate change and, and, and the challenges of living a sustainable lifestyle for many of our communities, mostly communities of color, low-income communities. So if theater the problems, the solution is embedded in that if we skill these folks with becoming the future permaculture designers, the future connectors, relationship buildings between all these parts. Right. And it was successful because, again, they got it. Yeah. And they got it immediately, and they just didn't get it about applying it to the land. They got it about applying it to their lives. Yeah. So they started walking around, seeing connections everywhere they went. 
not just in the water system or the energy system, but in what happens when you have interactions or, or, or respond and so I don't know, just the whole gamut yeah. of what it looks like when you start to really take apart and observe uh, the patterns in your life and, mm. and, and using principles that are life affirming to guide you. Mm. Nice. Now, are you? I said a lot. I don't know if you want. No, that's yeah, that's really that's really powerful. I'm just I'm having this vision of these people, and I've seen the video and such that you made, and I'm wondering if um, I know it's been a little while at this point. If you are still in touch with any of these people, and you know how has this impacted people's lives years down, you know, especially the the social entrepreneurship, and did people actually go and create businesses, and and how did they transform their lives from this? Well, it's interesting. Another, I mean, one of the challenges with any nonprofit funded venture is, yeah, people get support when they're funded. You know, we got eighteen months of funding. We knew the funding was ending after eight, after eighteen months. We knew it was a pilot. All of the partners decided not to continue the program after 18 months. We didn't really have the funding, and we all had kind of shifted how we wanted to do this work. So um, we didn't have infrastructure to keep, in quote, organized touch with folks. But, of course, we're still, you know, a few of the folks got jobs at local eco-businesses, and specifically some of the... Uh, women, and I'll fast forward and talk about this later, are now partnering with me to do a program like Pathways Resilience, design it specifically for women. Oh, um, nice. And also, graduates for our program have gone on to excel. At, you know, one of the guys, Regent, he had his own garden. He did the movement generation training I told you about. Mm-hmm. He is now a leader, seeing a leader, will be probably teaching <laughs> permaculture courses in the future. Nice. So a few of them we were able to keep in touch. We have lost a few. Um, a two of our brothers died, Siddiqui and Calvin, last year. That was really sad. Um, but several of them have continued with this. And we had an alumni. We gathered a few times to meet as alumni, but weren't able to keep that going. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we've been able to – I've been able to stay in touch with a few folks. But more importantly, so this woman, Linda Candelaria, who was in our class, her and other women in the program, um, and this other women in reentry I ended up meeting because I was doing this work, were like, you know, there's nothing specifically for women. And we had a few, like two cohorts. The first cohort was all men. The second cohort had, I think, four women, four, four or five women in it out of 13. And those women spoke about the need for something specifically for women. And as a woman who does women's work, I can talk about that later, um, I knew that too. So I was able to raise a little bit of funds so that now we have something called Women Designing Resilience where it's a team of four women and we're all impacted by incarceration. We're either formerly incarcerated or our families are incarcerated and we're designing a program with feedback from formerly incarcerated women that will speak to the specific needs of the reentry community, uh, to the female reentry community. That program will launch in 2018. It will nice. be a permaculture design certificate program, but it's also going to be whatever else, as well as we hope to have some type of an added value job placement aspect, possibly stipends or, or grants that they get at the, the completion. You know, we're going to take the lessons we've learned from Pathways Resilience. Because, again, Linda's a graduate, 
Yeah. Um, Miata's the other woman, but she's not a graduate of the program, but she is excited about being a part of this. And we're trying to take those lessons learned to design a program for women that can last longer than a pilot phase, but actually be a long-term program that women coming home can go through and then launch whatever venture or be a part of whatever sustainability or permaculture-related project or just integrate these principles into their life and re-enter in a way that's sustainable and healthy for them. Yeah. You know, this morning I uh, I heard the news and it was all about how Jeff Sessions was, you know, was, was now declaring that uh, judges should prosecute for the uh, mandatory minimums for nonviolent drug offenses. And, you know, as we know, this basically impacts communities of color and puts more people into, into, into incarceration for victimless crimes. And, you know, when I hear you talking about the, I mean, I mean, it makes me want to cry, really. It's just so beautiful to think of taking people who have been locked away for whatever reasons and, and like, nurturing them into this wholesome and abundant mind frame that, that I think of as the permaculture um, design system. And so I'm just, I, I'm really, um, I'm, I'm inspired. I'm, I'm wondering, like, who, who is supporting this when you guys are going for your next, uh, like, like, is there an organization that is funding this? Is this coming from the government? Is it coming from private donors? Like, where's the energy and, and impulse coming from? Well, and one thing I want to back up and just say is like this, this, I feel like anybody that does a permaculture design certificate needs more support. Yeah. Like I always might do talk. How many of you got your PDP and they're raising hands? How many of you left your PDP and were like, what do I do? Uh-huh. And felt like I don't have no money, I, you know. And so there's this feeling of here you are immersed in this paradigm shifting, relationship enhancing, life altering experience. And they are just kind of left like, oh, my gosh, what do I do next? And so I, people who've been in prison and who come home, that's why I don't call them ex-cons or prisoners or whatever. They're people. Right. They happen to be one of the things that they're defined by is incarceration. You know, like I've been in the hospital 10 times in my life. I'm not called a patient. You don't call me outpatient. (laughs) No, I'm serious. This is very important. They're people first and foremost. So everything that inspires you inspires me can inspire them too. So that's the beauty of like, of course, permaculture would inspire these folks. If anything, because they're aware of patterns, maybe it just hasn't been something, the language, but they see things that have repeated. And then you've been in prison, you come out from what they've told me, they are ready to stop these cycles. And those cycles are patterns. So they're like, what do I have to do to shift? And if you can piggyback on that desire to shift patterns with shifting patterns and under well first observing and understanding the patterns that exist, ecological patterns, you know, yeah. and then um, the life one. So making good connection, it's just it's it's kind of a no brainer. I feel yeah. like working with veterans or anyone who's been through something that has now wants to really understand how to shift. The patterns, um, permaculture could be a great tool because you can make that connection, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And so, well, I mean, with the Pathways to Resilience, it was the, was it state or city of Oakland? It was government. I've received government and private funding throughout my career. 
career and everything I've done. Um, this last round for Women Designing Resilience, it's been foundation. I've just kind of, because it's literally me right. <laughs> and these team of women doing it mm-hmm. um, and because it needs to happen. And just relationships I've had, I've gone to people, we wrote up a thing, and they're like, we love this. We'll give you some money. Right. Um, Lush Cosmetics is yeah. one sponsor. Yeah. They're really excited about anything regenerative, and so their charity pot is helping to fund the design process. I, I just want to say, I want to say, Lush, Lush Cosmetics comes up again and again. Like whenever I hear, not whenever, but you know, half of the amazing projects I hear about out there when it when it when it comes back around. Oh, where'd this come from? Oh, it's Lush Cosmetics. So they, it's really interesting to see a uh, like a. a a big company that is actually using their system and their profits to affect so much change. That's a really good model. Oh yeah. Cause yeah. at the minimum they're using up a lot of resources. I know right. their stores are beautiful and they have this whole closed loop footprint. I mean, come on, they, but that's part of what I think the goal, they are trying to be regenerative. So if you are not putting money back into communities and they, I'm telling you, they, I, um, also got a chance, they have something called the Spring Prize that they're launching this year where they're giving away 200,000 pounds to 11 different organizations all over the world. It's kind of like the Goldman Prize and the Buckminster Fuller Prize hmm. and the, you know, all these environmental awards. And so I was one of the judges. So I got to read, I mean, 500 entries of regenerative design pro- projects all over the world. So wow. I got to read like 40 of them. Narrow it down to 11. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. So <laughs> they all need it. But I love that, like, we got this. There's clearly more people on this planet, even if just Sessions, who you just said, or our president, whatever, the dumb, yeah. excuse my language, dumbass ones have power. There's more people still working on things that will not destroy all of these humanity. I'm sticking by that. Yeah. And so being a part of Luscious Spring Pride, they want to start to really say to the world that no, we're supporting regeneration. We are, one, so I'm going back to London in a couple of weeks for the award ceremony to meet the winners. And I have to say, as a company, I've been nothing but impressed. And not just because they gave me money, like I was shocked. I went to their store and I was like, they're not trying to compete with, you know, anthrop- like mainstream stores. And, and again, I talked about meeting people where they're at. Lush is meeting people where they're at. They're going to where... Gap and all of these other companies that are actually not <laughs> doing sustainable practices, and they're they're showing an alternative. So they love the idea of social permaculture and permaculture, and I feel like if we can find more businesses like that and hold them up, it's a great opportunity. So that was a little bit of a lush hurrah, but <laughs> I'm really I'm like impressed as much as I could see with what they're doing. That's yeah, that's really great. Um, wh- what other things are you working on these days that are really, are really got you fired up? Well, you know, I'm caregiver for my mom. She has Alzheimer's, right. and I've been doing that for five and a half years. And that's not really what am I working on. It's like my life. Right. And one thing I feel like I know, I realize, and I talk about this a lot, that in permaculture, the self-care, the kind of, again, we're like, talking about applying these principles working with the land, but it's like how are people also being taken care of 
And so I've been trying to lead with this thing that I'm a caregiver first and foremost. I think we're all trying to be caregivers of the land, but caregivers of another human. And I've tried to figure out how those principles fit into my life. Mm. You know, for someone with Alzheimer's, everything, repetition, patterning is what keeps them sane. (laughs) You know? So it's just really interesting to see how my life has slowed down. I've gotten off of social media completely because I want to be able to focus on her and what's at hand. So that's had a really interesting impact on maybe my level of joy, which is a little bit heightened because I don't know half of what's happening. Well, I probably don't know like 90% of what's happening other than through my communication with people. Yeah. That's and because great. no people don't walk up to me on the street and tell me bad, like, I got this person got shot. You know, it's like my daily interactions with people. So that's nothing if I make it. And the news I hear from everyday people is like daily ranting. So that's been a huge shift for me being able to then show up when I'm not with my mom and like going to the UK or, you know, I teach a permaculture teacher training for women hmm. with Lisa hmm. DiPiano and you know, I can show up there and really have the energy and the charge to inspire other people to their greatness. And this course is amazing. We usually teach two a year. We're offering one again um, in December mm-hmm. at the Permaculture Skills Center. And it's beautiful because it is used, it's all women. And it's not just about replicating a PDC, a Permaculture Design Certificate, but it's how do you integrate design thinking and permaculture design principles into your life. Hmm. No matter where you are. Are you a facilitator? Are you a teacher? Are you a parent? Do you want to start a company? So, but we also teach you how to replicate a PDC too. Like you want to plan a PDC? Here's what you do. Budgeting, marketing, blah, blah, blah. But curriculum design. But then this can apply to everything you're doing. So, you know, we had a woman who's writing, she uh, she teaches script writing. Uh, She's a director. She wants to do a reality TV show that focuses on permaculture. She was in our court. And we had another woman who was like, you know, a a landscape architect professor at a university. And, you know, she wants to integrate this. And then another woman who was from Brazil, and she's Mm -hmm. doing a lot around police brutality at the university, some of the university courses in Brazil. So she was also trying to think of how do you integrate permaculture, not just a permaculture design certificate, but permaculture design thinking into this awareness of um, the, the policing that's happening in the favelas in Brazil. Wow. So we wow. get women from across the board in these courses, and that fires me up because they all leave, and it's like little drops of water. They've been inspired to go make permaculture relevant. Remember I talked about relevant? Right, right. So, they they're going to make it relevant for who they have access to, and I know they're not just going to have the same type of people in their courses, which has happened which happened for thirty years or whatever. Yeah. So that's one thing. Now, now how is a course that you teach like that? How do, how is it different teaching a course just for women? Well. Well, one thing that is different that I think people might, like, we don't ever talk about men. <laughs> it's, like, it's not like the anti-man course. If anything, yeah, we don't have to. Although my course in California, we did end up talking about some of some teachers who've been abusive who happen to be men. 
Mm. You know, because like being a male teacher doesn't mean you're abusive. But there was this pattern for whatever reason that there's some permaculture teachers who've been a little bit more abusive to their students at the perception of these students we had. We talked a little bit about what to do about that. But the other two courses, we just talk about, I mean, it's like the fact that it's women takes out some of the dynamics that uh, mixed gender course, like sometimes when it's men, they talk more, they might take up more space, they get called on more, you know, the facilitators at fault too. Hmm. Um, it, 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 there's some, t- with women, and this isn't across the board, but I know it's literally every time I do a women's course, I leave going, okay, I only want to teach women. <laughs> and then we try to have it be half women of color at least, and it's like, this is all I want to do. You know, this woman yeah. brought her baby, and me and Lisa were like, okay, let's try having the baby. And then, like, the second day we were like, no, the baby got to go. Oh, we can't. Okay. It's a cute baby. The baby's making noise. But the class, instead of being like, it's a problem, get out. You know, problem is solution. Okay, what's the solution? Well, the baby's here. We're at this site that has all these spaces and care facilities. Let's raise money with the class. And then we got child care. So the mom could stay and the baby went to childcare. And then we started talking about what would a classroom look like if it was designed so that parents could have their kids nearby while they're taking, you know what I mean? So we turned that problem into like a design opportunity and that was really cool. Um, So it's like, I feel like, but I don't want to say it's just because there's no men there, but I definitely think with the way men and women have been nurtured and trained to be in groups, kind of like the way uh, these same patterns play out around different cultures or, you know, races together, that it's just something about women give each other more space. Hmm. Um, Again, men do that too. There's only on record. (laughs) This isn't like all men do that. But for some reason, you know, I've taught three of these now, but I've also had so many times I've been in all women's spaces and it's just something I've seen. And to the point that my last talk I did, where was I? Oh, I was at UC Santa Cruz. I told the group, I was like, men, if you can ever dress up as a woman and sneak in on an all, I mean, I said, don't actually do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so powerful. And it's like, it's so affirming and can be, I'll say the ones I lead end up being, because it's also not just about me and Lisa. It's not just the Lisa and Pandora show. It's a collaborative design space that we try to create. Mm. Um, As opposed to other permaculture spaces I've been in that have felt a little like I'm being yelled at, I'm just being told a bunch of stuff. It's like permaculture design is a collaborative relationship-based approach. So teaching it and delivering it should follow Right. So for me, it lends itself to these, you know, all women spaces right. or whatever group really needs to come together to feel safe. Right. Well, that, a lot of women don't feel safe when there's men in the room. I'm just, that's yeah. what I've heard. Yeah. So. Well, that really leads up to to the next question I wanted to ask is what what can people do? Say people teaching permaculture, people doing you know, earth repair, land regeneration, what can people do to be more conscious of the social aspects you've been talking about? And, you know, 
more accurately addressing the social ills and being present in the actual situation? Like, like what advice do you have, say, to the permaculture movement for how we can up our game in this respect? First, I would say do yourself a favor and do your own personal permaculture plan. Like, set a goal, um, kind of assess and analyze your own strengths and weaknesses, where you're at, kind of map out your own current, you know, what is and what could be, and then kind of sector plan, really understand how energy and even whether it's energy in the form of money, in the form of relationships, how do they flow in your life? Um, you know, what what kind of energy is impacting, you know, the so the zones of your life and then the sectors that are hitting, you know, what's, what's impacting your life on a daily, on a monthly, and then kind of mapping out and designing what do you want? What kind of reality and life and impact do you want? Um, so some type of a personal permaculture plan. I think it's like, everybody it's like check that. yourself, basically, is what you're saying. Well, not even just check yourself, because check yourself feels a little bit judgmental. Uh-huh. This is like literally doing what we're claiming we want to do with a piece of land. Yeah. And it could be the most, in, the most inspiring experience, because, you know, sometimes I do this in my social permaculture half-day workshops, where people go through and they do their own, uh, you know, analysis, where they're like, they have to think of... What are the questions I ask them? I forget, but it's like they have to think of the gifts they offer the world and who are the five people that are most supportive and what kind of people do they need? You know what I mean? Really taking stock and designing, you know, uh, creating containers for the life that you want. Um, I try to do that and it's the frame. You're giving your reality a frame. Hmm. You know, it's kind of the difference of like <laughs> when someone, I hope I say that right, give this example right. When someone's like wanting to date and they're like, God, I really want to find, um, no, God, I really don't want to date any more abusive men. Saying something like that as opposed to, I'm really excited to find a man who's attentive and excited about permaculture. You know, you're kind right. of putting out there something for the universe to respond to as opposed to, I really don't want any more abusive men. Okay, I'm, a, I, 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 I'm almost guaranteeing you abusive men will kind of flock. But when you put out there and map out and really create and, and frame what you want, and so this is what I'm saying, we could do for our lives. Apply the same design thinking to designing the life you want and see what happens. I think we can all do that. Now, that's just on the individual. In terms of, did you say advocating for social justice or just in general? Well, I mean, I'd say advocating for social justice. I would say bringing more social justice, more equity, diversity, um, you know, all the things that that I hear you advocating for, um, you know, bringing that more into the permaculture movement, the permaculture classroom, the activities that people are doing, their projects. So then... As people are doing your own kind of reflective, who am I, what is my life about, you can start to kind of think about, what's my community? What does diversity? Because people are kind of like, we want more diversity. And Starhawk and I always say, like, what does that mean? What does diversity mean to you? Do you really want more diversity or do you just want another Asian or do you want another man or another You know what I mean? What, what does diversity mean to you? So I think 
people have to start with their own experience with these things. And I don't just mean around race. Like, thinking of all the different areas that exist within social permaculture. Because, of course, when I tell people I work with in prisons and reentry, people are like, I want to do that work, too. And it's kind of like, that's nice. Do you have access to that? Like, or people are like, I want to work with disadvantaged people. And I'm like, okay, first of all, oh, no, you asked me about the word marginalized. And I'm like, well, do you know marginalized people? Which I don't personally like that term, but do you have relationships already with this group you're claiming you want to work with? And if you don't, that's going to be a problem because how are you going to help people that you don't even, you're not in a relationship with them? How do you even know what they need? And so as you're starting to kind of understand your, you know, you can almost do like a social justice mapping of where do you sit around all of these different issues? Because I think part of what we have to do, what our society is calling us to do right now, is break out of some of our comfort zones. You know, going places we haven't gone before. A lot of white folks ask me, you know, most of my community, and it's not, I mean, our society has been designed that way. You know, we actually have laws on the books that created segregated neighborhoods. Okay, the United States uh-huh. government has laws that allow white people to access loans and build communities, built the projects that used to be white but then became communities of color. You know, there were laws on the books. So it's not just by mistake that the United States cities are, and towns and communities are segregated. It's been designed as a result of the trajectory of our society. Mm-hmm. And our government had it written in laws. So right. now what we get to do is understand that. And I think this generation that we have now is a lot more integrated. But for those of you that are like, wow, I want to be more active in around social justice, around different issues. If you have relationships or a community that you're a part of, great. can deepen your awareness, deepen your work. But if you don't, then that's the opportunity to see, you know, or first I'd say, what do you have access to? Like, what communities do you have access to that you can start to do this work as opposed to just, I want to go work with poor kids? I mean, it's that way of thinking feels like build relationships with the community or with folks first. And then through relationships, because we don't even know what people need help with. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is all theoretical until you have the actual relationship. And so... Getting out of our comfort zone, you know, I'll, I'll go back to when some white folks say to me, so what, am I just supposed to go up to people of color and start talking? I'm like, well, no, but go to places that, you know, because the permaculture community loves for folks to come to permaculture events. And I was like, how do we get more diversity at permaculture events? And I'm like, how does the permaculture community go to more events that other people are hosting? <laughs> you can't just be us hoping all these people come to our stuff. Why don't we go out and listen and see what are other people doing, listen and observe and interact, and then see where are the bridges and the connections, you know? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, that's an edge for folks, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of juiciness there around going and immersing yourself in different places, even in your own city. (laughs) Well, yeah. <laughs> or different events, or you know, yeah. um, wellness fairs, sports events, artistic adventures, concerts. I mean, there's so many spaces that people come together that we can go and expose ourselves to more 
diversity culturally, just age-wise, um, everything. So yeah. I think that's a way, the same way in your garden, you would go above and beyond to learn about different types of plants mm-hmm. and, you know, different technologies. This is an opportunity to spread and learn about different people. And they're only different. They're more similar than they're different. That's another thing I feel. Because <laughs> yeah. at the core, we're all human, and we're going to bleed, and we're all going to die. Right. But have different experiences. So put yourself out there. Try experiencing something new in a community and build and grow your relationships. Uh, I would also say check out Starhawk's common sense principles. Her principles are my favorite because they're kind of like the principles grandma gave you. Um, Like what grandma used to say and just the way she frames the principles. It's like one that she has is do more with less. And underneath that principle, it's like make a way out of no way. Kill two birds with one stone. Every element serves more than one function. So choose and place it carefully. A climbing rose in the right place might produce a bouquet, filter the wind, and keep out intruders. So it's like, check out her principles that make it super plain and, and, and like real, and then kind of practice engaging with the world with that lens and sharing permaculture with other folks. Because I think in that sense, we'll be able to communicate what permaculture is more easily because mm-hmm. it's not these abstract principles that feel like, I don't know what you're talking about, but it's actually stuff like do more with less. Everybody says that. Right. Make a way out of no way. Right. That's like a super black thing. You know, people, lots of black people say that. Uh-huh. That's song. So when I say, that's a principle, you know, people are like, oh, no way, for real? So it's like, again, Starhawk's principles are kind of like easily to translate if we're wanting to share permaculture with other folks. Right. Um, I just want to say, in my in my house, we changed it to feed two birds with one scone. A lot of, yep. Instead, <laughs> Instead of to kill, kill two, two birds with one stone, yeah. So, feed two birds with one scone. With one scone. Um, and then, I mean, again, back to doing your own personal permaculture, I think there, I think there are, excuse me, social justice opportunities accessible in everyone's life and I think if you're doing something give yourself credit and celebrate that um everybody's not supposed to be doing everything but I do think we can at least inform ourselves and educate ourselves on what's happening around all these issues so again a man's not necessarily going to take my permaculture teacher training for women but that doesn't mean that a man can't try to find a permaculture teacher training that empowers him to do more collaborative design or collaborative teaching. Like I just did a one day with a man who was like, I really, I'm not a woman. I can't take your teacher training. I'm trying to get the skills you have because I want to work with you. Yeah. And I want to yeah. work with, you know, and I was, and so again, um, he's doing his role. He's not taking the women's course, but, you know, he made an effort to try to ramp up his ability to be a more collaborative educator. Um, and to present permaculture so that it is seen as the social aspect mm-hmm. and not just the land-based aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Did I give you? Yeah. Yeah, that was, that, was really, that was really brilliant, I've got to say. Like, there's, there's some little gems in there that uh, really um, 
had some nice light bulbs going off for me, and I'm sure some of the people listening are going to have light bulbs going off as well because um, you, you you're so articulate and you have a really simple and clear way of expressing things that are so obvious, but I never thought of them before. You know, so I just I really appreciate that, yeah. and um, yeah, I'm I'm. I'm uh, I'm I'm really full. My mind and, and my heart are really full by everything you're saying, and I just I just really uh, appreciate what you're doing and and all that you're sharing. So thanks so much, Pandora. Oh my God, James, this is wonderful. And being, I also I just want to acknowledge all the other folks out there. I feel like we're riding the bike as we're building it with social permaculture, who are like, as we're figuring out how this fits into this long legacy of permaculture design, the social pieces, we're all, you know, making sense of it. And so I just feel honored and mentored by a lot of those people. They're cross-cultural groups of folks. You are definitely one of those as well, and I'm just honored that you wanted me to share my life with you. Thank you. And I want to give it, because you're talking about Starhawk a lot, and Starhawk, like, completely changed my life when I read The Fifth Sacred Thing in about 1995, about over 20 years ago, and then just recently read the the sequel that she came out with 20 years later, The uh, uh, City of Refuge. And so I just Mm -hmm. wanted to put a shout out for Starhawk. And if you're into futuristic fantasy novels, The Fifth Sacred Thing is... It's the only book in my life that I've read. I've read probably five times. Like I read every couple of years, oh, yeah. I'll pick it up and read it again. And so, um, so I'm. I, I love to hear you keep bringing her up because she's she's. There's something really special about her message, and she just affects a lot of people in a deep way. So um, yeah, because she's doing everything I'm talking about, and she's and we also teach a social perma. So there's the Earth Activist training in January, but we also teach two five-day social permaculture courses, and she teaches a few others, but her and I together with the third teacher, Charles, um, so if anybody's interested, you can go to my website, pandoratoms.com, and it also shows other stuff I'm doing, but yeah, I just have to really give it up for Starhawk for what she's done for me and for this movement as a white woman with Jewish ancestry, challenging and shifting patterns for white folks. So like every white person that's in this, I'm like, you need to check Starhawk because yeah. she's really helping people of European ancestry reclaim your legacy so that you're grounded in that. And that in and of itself is a social justice starting point <laughs> mm-hmm. because then you will start to be able to be more connected and feel people will be less of an other. Yeah. I truly believe that. Yeah. And I'll end on that. Nice. And I feel like permaculture does actually help people reclaim their legacy because it, you know, it connects people to the land where everybody was connected to the land somewhere down the line. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. It's like becoming indigenous to a place, but the missing piece is then also becoming aware of the indigenous realities and the indigeneity and experiences of folks. So, yeah. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. And I just learned a new word, indigeneity. So. Indigeneity. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Have a much. wonderful rest of your day. Yeah, you too. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to Earth Repair Radio. I'm Andrew Millicent, and you can find more episodes on earthrepairradio.com.